Let's do that hockey. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Dauber Prospects Radio Podcast. This is going to be episode 120. I'm your host, Peter Harling, as always. And today's episode, we're going to be talking about a lot of Kingston Frontenacs players. Um, I talk a little bit about, I, I mentioned the Kingston Frontenacs at least once every episode. Uh, it's been hard not to this year with, with Shane Wright on their roster. But the Frontenacs have uh, not only Shane Wright, but they got a couple other uh, draft-relevant prospects. And uh, they also have a number of fantasy-relevant prospects, as they had uh, about six or so NHL-drafted prospects on the roster. Uh, and they had themselves a, a pretty good season by Kingston standards. Uh, so I'm going to spend this episode talking about uh, Kingston Frontenac players. There'll be a lot of Shane Wright talk right off the top for all you draft nuts out there. And to to join me on this episode, I couldn't think of anyone more qualified than Alan Etmanski. He is the host for Kingston Frontenac. He's he's the Ron McLean of Kingston Frontenac hockey. Uh, and he's also uh, a pretty knowledgeable hockey fellow himself, being the assistant general manager of uh, the Picton Pirates. So welcome to the Dauber Prospects podcast. Alan, thanks for coming on. Thanks. And uh, I've got some big shoes if I'm being compared to Ron McLean. So uh, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, right. Ron's, uh, Ron's pretty good. Ron's pretty good. Whether people uh, love him or hate him, he's a legend. How could you not love him? He's, yeah. he's, he's part of growing up in Canada. It's like you come through and you get your Tim Hortons, your hockey stick, and then your dose of Ron McLean. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He should be on, he should be on our currency. He, uh, he's there. I'm sure if you say that there'll be somebody that'll get out there with Photoshop and kind of do something up. And before we know it, it'll be circulating like those ones we saw with the trailer park boys on them. Yes. Well, hey, if anyone if anyone listens to this episode and and you're savvy with that kind of stuff, uh, tweet it at me, uh, or the or the podcast at DPR underscore show. And if you want to tag my my guest on it, Alan's uh, Twitter handle is at Alan Etmanski. A double L A N E T M A N S K I. All right, so Alan, let's 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 get into it. Let's dive headfirst right in and uh, and just go right to the cherry on top and start talking Shane Wright. So, who's that? Uh, I think he's a hockey player. Some okay. some people may have heard of him. Uh, we've been talking about this kid since he was uh, 14, 15 years old, playing in the GTHL with the Don Mills Flyers. Played his way into earning exceptional status about uh, off the top of my head. I think he was the sixth or seventh or so uh, player to be granted that distinction and enter the Ontario Hockey League at an early age. And lucky for us, the Frontenacs pooped the bed the season before and got the first overall pick. So we got to watch him, um, I want to say, for four years. But um, we really got hosed there with the pandemic eliminating an entire season of Shane Wright, which was devastating for the Frontenacs. How Kingston, right? Uh, like you get so... this, you get this superstar talent and then something that's once in a lifetime happens and wipes out a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to talk about COVID. Um, so he missed an entire season, his D minus one year, and then came back and 
was the consensus number one. I mean, like pretty much no matter who you talk to at the start of the 21-22 season, uh, all the draft pundits pretty much unanimously had Shane Wright as the runaway number one first overall consensus draft pick. You'd be hard pressed to find someone who could have made an argument for someone else. Uh, and that's on the strength of of playing like seven games with Canada at the U18s. And so let's let's start there. Uh, he had a really impressive U18 tournament as his draft minus one player. He was influencing the game in a number of ways, specifically offensively, and uh, he was dominant as a as an underage player. And it really got people excited about what he was going to do in his draft year it was it was super impressive too when you consider like like we talked about he had the he had the tail end of his his rookie campaign cut off and then gyms open gyms closed rings open rings closed up leading up to that so whether or not he had ample time to train or get into any type of game shape we don't really know. And so for him to, to get to that tournament and put on the showing that he did, I was super impressed with what we saw. Right. And he was, he was not the only player that was subject to those terms and conditions, right? I, the entire, entire hockey league was, was locked out for the entire season. The WHL had a very abbreviated season and the, the Q, um, was on and off. I, if I memory serves me correctly, but they, I think they played the most games. Yeah. It was all over the place. So like you had to have a notebook and it would have been filled with stops and starts. Yeah. Yeah. So they were all in a pretty similar situation where it was a raw deal. Um, So it was kind of a level playing field that way, but what was most impressive to me was that he was, you know, he's a, a year younger than the majority of the players on that roster and they're the cream of the crop. So then we fast forward a, a little bit and, you know, the OHL comes back. We played a full season. There was a little bit of a uh, little bit of no attendance for a month or so there with, with, with just uh, empty rinks. And um, they only played inter interconference. They only played in the East Eastern conference. They didn't play any Western conference teams, but those were the only real restrictions on the season. So he played a full season and he took a lot of scrutiny in the first half of the season, particularly for not blowing our socks off offensively. I mean, he was good Um, and he got better as the season went along, but he didn't finish uh, over a hundred points and he wasn't even the front next leading scorer. Uh, So now that we go through the whole season, we get to the end of the year. The question is, is he still the number one ranked player? Um, I'm not sure how, how familiar you are with some of the other players in the draft, but uh, Logan Cooley has played his way into the conversation. And so is Yuri Slavkovsky. He had an incredible performance at the Olympics and then again at the World Championship. So how did you feel about Wright's start, the duration of the season, his finish, and how do you, how do you see him right now? So I think what a lot of people need to realize is that a lot of opinions are based just on numbers. So people look at the numbers and they say, well, it wasn't a standout year for a, for a kid like Shane Wright, who's expected to be the first overall pick and this exceptional status player. And he did have a slow start. There's no question about that. But then you touched on, on the whole scenario of what they were coming back from not having not played 
really anything outside of that under 18s for a year and a half. You've got two groups of rookies coming onto a team. You've got a rookie head coach in Kingston. There's gelling going on. He's being rotated with different line mates for the first two months. Maybe I'd have to go over my notes again um, more thoroughly, but I know that he was seeing a regular dose of, of new line mates throughout that year, seeing time with Litwinski and Soto. And he even, I think he even saw some time with our Curry and, um, so it wasn't his usual line mates and a lot of times forwards play like a set line and they kind of get into a groove and some chemistry and stuff. So it took a little bit of time for them to get that figured out. And then just as he starts to hit it, everything gets disrupted again because he goes off to the world junior camp and then he's back at square one again. And um, I'm not overly surprised that he went away to the world junior camp and then came back and really started to take off. Because if you go back to his rookie season, when he went away for the under 17s, he started slow that year, went away to the under 17s and then came back as a different player. And so it was a similar case here. He went away to the world juniors and his role got changed a little bit just because of the depth on that team. But when he came back to Kingston, Zade wisdom was there and all of a sudden they, have that trio of wisdom, Chromiak and Wright reunited for the most part. And all of a sudden stuff starts clicking again for him. They start to get on a little bit of a roll. And um, that's, that's a big part of why he finished so hot for the Kingston Frontenacs. And then you look after the regular season and into the playoffs and he wasn't, he wasn't setting the OHL playoffs on fire by any stretch, but he was consistent every single night. And yeah, he maybe wasn't showing up on the goal column, but he was doing a lot of stuff away from the puck and in his own end that really added up to the big picture. So I, I was impressed with how he was able to handle the season because often with these draft eligible players on top of it being your draft year, you've got, you've got the pressure of it being your draft year, but then when you're an exceptional player who's expected to go number one, there's all that additional pressure. And you've always got the commitments of the big TV networks coming in, wanting the interviews, all that kind of stuff. So all in all, I think, I think for having not played really consistently in a year and a half and then coming into that and dealing with it, I think it was a pretty good year for him. Yeah. I think it was a a good year for him too. Now you mentioned uh, at the beginning there that a lot of people are are looking at his stack column and and saying, Hmm, disappointing and not really watching the games and, you know, not too many people watch more Kings and front next games than you. You certainly watched more than me. Um, so I can, I can understand why, what people would say that there's been games where I've watched and, you know, he didn't really stand out. You know, he didn't have any end to end rushes. He didn't score any Michigan style goals or, you know, like, well, hey, there was that one. There was that one he set up in Oshawa there, where he's behind mm-hmm. the net and like stuff. I don't know if it was planned, but it was it was highlight reel. Yeah, for sure. It was like a no look backhand. Yeah. How did he even know that guy was there? And uh, yeah, that was that was that was a very pretty goal. But you know, those were not an every night thing. So you could watch a Kingston front next game, and then at the end of it, walk away and say. I don't even really remember like seeing Shane Wright very much. But then you look at the box score and he's like a plus two and has an assist. <laughs> and, and you know, it's funny you say that because there were nights this year where like I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, well, Shane had a quiet night. And then I'm going over the score sheet afterwards and it's like goal assist, assist plus three mm-hmm. solid, solid on the draws. And I'm like, well, no, that's, that's Shane Wright's game. He may not wow you every night, but it's just the consistency that really jumps out at you. Yeah. So 
he's uh he's drawn some comparisons uh for all those draft pundits out there to um uh players like Patrice Bergeron or uh maybe Jonathan Taves that kind of thing. I don't think he's as as aggressive physically as Jonathan Taves. Um and I don't think he's going to win five Selkie trophies like Patrice Bergeron. Um but I mean he's got Bergeron upside. If you put Shane Wright in a situation where he was playing in the NHL with players like uh equivalent to David Pasternak and and Brad Marchand, uh I think he could statistically offensively i think he has the upside to to be very parallel to what bergeron has been for the boston bruins now bergeron was i think a second round draft pick uh shane wright's gonna go no later than probably second overall uh in his draft so again there'll be that burden of expectation that'll be on his shoulders but i mean he's been playing with that for four years now already since he was 15 years old so uh, i don't I wouldn't worry about that. I do like that comparison to Patrice Bergeron because um, Bergeron's going to be a Hall of Famer by my books. Like the guy's got five Selkies to his name and yeah. just just the best two way player in the NHL. Um, and if he can go out there and consistently put up seasons like Patrice Bergeron, yeah, he's not going to be Connor McDavid. Wow, but like Patrice Bergeron is still pretty darn good, and yeah, yeah. that's something Montreal hasn't. They now have it with Nick Suzuki a little bit, but they haven't had it really in any type of form since Guy Carboneau. Yeah, I mean, what's Bergeron done? You know, he's won Stanley Cup, about half a dozen Selkie trophies. A couple uh, gold medals. uh, Gold medals at the (laughs) Olympics, the World Juniors. uh, I'm not sure about World Championships or not, but probably. Um, Yeah, it's all right. I think he walks in the front door of the Hall of Fame in his first year. I think he's a yeah, first absolutely. ballot, first ballot he, guy. Like, if no, he no isn't a, if he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, whoever is on the committee that year needs to be fired because because there are there's not a centerman in the NHL in the last ten years that's better than him. This this, ladies and gentlemen, is coming from a Habs fan, so it has to be true. <laughs> exactly right. I'm probably gonna get my <laughs> I'm probably gonna get my Habs fan club membership revoked for that, but. It's true. And, and you know what? I'm not one of those Hab fans with the blinders on. I'm pretty good at calling a spade a spade. And that's yeah. what Bergeron is. He's, he is that solid two-way guy. All right. So clearly we're both enamored with, with Shane. We think he's a, a very good hockey player. He might not be a, a Wayne Gretzky or, or Connor McDavid, but I mean, I don't think you can hold that against the guy. It's not too many people that that can fall into that category. So other players have also had exceptional status and made it to the, the NHL. Uh, John Tavares and Steven Stamkos, they're not in the Gretzky category, but uh, they've had very good careers. And while I think Shane is a, is, a, is a different kind of player, I think he could have the same sort of impact as those two guys. Uh, he's certainly going to be better than Sean Day. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Sorry, that's Sean. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's one of the problems with the exceptional status tag, I think, is that these players come in and then all of a sudden people are thinking that we're seeing a Gretzky or McDavid. Like Ekblad, yeah. Aaron Ekblad had the exceptional status tag, very solid defenseman, one of the top in the NHL. He's not out there doing Kale McCarr things, but it doesn't doesn't lessen his skill level at all, right? He's still a, right. he's still at every night. He's probably top two defenseman on the Florida Panthers. Yeah, He's just if, not grabbing the headlines like a Makar. If he could stay healthy, it would help his cause. All right. So I think, so you're, I mentioned that you're a Montreal Canadiens fan. And um, 
Do you see a scenario where Montreal selects someone not named Shane Wright first overall? I think it'll be either Wright or it'll be Cooley. Um, they, you need depth and strength down the center to win in today's NHL. And Montreal has lacked that for years and years and years. And now you've got an opportunity to draft a legitimate center um, with your first overall pick. There's talk they might have a second pick or trying to get one, uh, but you've got the number one overall pick right now. And I don't think you can go and draft a winger. There's You've got wingers in your system. You need that number one um, center. And the thought of a duel of Suzuki and right down the middle is uh, it's pretty, pretty enticing for me as a fan, but I think just as a hockey mind, you look at that and you think, well, there you go. That's, that's your center position for the next five, seven years, at least. Oh, for sure. Uh, I, I don't think it would make sense for them to go on the wing either. Uh, and they do have a number of, of pretty good defensemen. Um, you know, Caden Gooley just led Edmonton to uh, a WHL championship and um, Arbor Jack. I did the same thing with, with Hamilton too bad. He didn't get traded to Kingston. Eh? Um so do you think there's a scenario where maybe they take one of the defensemen and Nemec or a Juracek? I just, talk I don't, I don't think so. I like, they've got a ton of defensemen pro, or defensive prospects in their system right now. Right. And, and the, the future in that regard, looks bright to them. The one area that they are weak on is down, down the middle and and they lucked, they lucked out getting Suzuki. I don't, I don't know how that all transpired because to me, that's a huge win for Montreal to be able to pull that trade off. Like he was just the throw in, in the deal, take the money um, and run. Yeah. And so now he's, he's their number one center and probably it looks like possibly their next captain and you're going to get a shot at Shane right here. And I think, I think if you're Montreal, you have to, you have to draft either him or Cooley. Right. Okay. So let's put on our hypothetical hats and you get promoted from the assistant GM of the Picks and Pirates to the general manager of the Montreal Canadiens in the next two weeks here um, before the NHL draft. Who do you pick? I go right. How come? He's just, he's the complete package to me and he's probably going to be the most ready to jump in. Um, and and see what he's like in action wise. Um, there's not a whole lot left for him to prove at the junior level. I know he's missing the championship and, and stuff, but, but in terms of everything else, he's, he's competed and he's put up the numbers and um, passed the test. And even this year, he faced a whole lot of adversity. There's the whole facial injury that he had there early in January, there was COVID and that kind of stuff that he was able to overcome and still have a great year. Like everybody talks about how he had a slow year. He still put up 90 something points this year. Like that's, that's ridiculous. Most players would love that. I know that uh, there's, there's a couple guys who are getting looks who, who didn't even come close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like watching him night in night out, I've, I've had that 68 game viewing experience. Um, and just from a game to game standpoint, like he, he is the he's the most complete player at at that center position right now in that draft. Right. Um, I don't know if I'd say he's the most complete player um, if you take into account the wings and stuff, but like at the center position, I would say he's probably the most complete. 
You said he's the most more ready to jump right into the NHL right away. So let's let's talk about that for a sec. Um, it bothers me that there that there seems to be this unwritten rule that if you're the first overall pick, you gotta jump right into the NHL. I think it's been detrimental in, in recent seasons for a number of players. Um, you know, Yakupov. Um, but Buffalo did a good thing this year of of breaking that rule, breaking the mold, and um, and allowing Owen Power to go into college. Do you see a scenario where he doesn't return to uh, – he doesn't join the Montreal Canadiens and, and go into the NHL right away? I certainly think that's a, that's a possibility. And part of this is the rule where you have to either go to junior or stick with the NHL club, right? I think – I know why the rule's there. I get it. They want kids playing and stuff. But I still think, like – you can learn a lot by going down to the AHL and playing there as well and then getting an expanded role too and playing against um, similar competition to what you'll see in the NHL. Whereas if you come back to junior um, and you, you dominate again, well, you're, what's it doing for your game? Like you can develop bad habits that way too. And I've seen players do that where they come back and they just have a, a great year statistic wise, but the, there's terrible habits developed. And we've seen it here in Kingston where guys, they're older, they're NHL draft picks, they send them back and then they wallow away in the ECHL or, or one of those minor pro leagues and never really make a career out of it. So I think there, especially with Montreal this year, I think there is a benefit to having him up there because they're going through that rebuild and they've got a ton of young talent who are all going to be similar to him. Guys like Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield are going to be around and, and Caden Primo too. And these are young guys that that he's going to be able to learn around. All right. So you you not only do you draft him first overall, you're, you're throwing him in on opening night, eh? I would. I I think hey, he's gonna get he's gonna get a, a taste of that at the draft. Montreal drafting first overall in Montreal, where there really hasn't been a whole lot to celebrate this year. It's going to be bananas that first week in uh, July. And especially that first night, he's going to get a taste of it there. And I think come October, I think it's October. They're starting this year. I hope it's October when the NHL kicks off this year, but I'd like to see him in the lineup similar to what Anaheim did with Mason McTavish. So what if, you know, he, uh, he just doesn't look ready. Um, plays a couple of games, uh, is not impactful. Doesn't look ready. Where does he? Where does he go from there? I mean, he's he's an OHL player, so the rules are he's got to go back to to junior. Uh, do you see a scenario where that that happens? I do. I, I like he would he would absolutely fetch a haul for the Kingston Frontex if he came back to junior. I don't. No, it depends on how the season goes too, right? If he comes back to Kingston and they're having a great year, he might want to be part of that run. Um, but he also could wind up getting dealt too. That's always mm. that's always something that's happened. These guys come back and they get moved. Um, we saw it this year with Mason McCavish came back and Peterborough dealt him to Hamilton and that worked out all right for him. But I do think that with what Montreal's going through right now and they've got a guy like Marty St. Louis at the helm, um, I think that it could be beneficial to have him there and have him around. Now, if he comes, if he comes and he struggles significantly, like it's just, it's, it's hard to watch, then yeah, you send him back. But something tells me that's not going to be the case with him. He's the type of guy that really, if he comes out and struggles in that first game, he's going to, he's going to take it and he's going to find a way to be better in that second chance. 
Mm. All right. Yeah. So <clears throat> Shane Wright, uh, looking like the number one overall pick. I had him ranked one. The Hockey News had him ranked one. Elite Prospects had him ranked one. Chris Peters ranked him two, though. So there are some people out there that are that are doubting him. But uh, I think those people are wrong. Like it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if if like Logan Cooley went one or um the other guy I can't think of his name off right off Slavkowski. the top of my yeah Slavkowski if he went um one but I do think that Shane Wright for Montreal is the best fit and there's one story out there and I can't remember where it was, was from but uh, Shane and his dad uh, it was either in 2000 or something around there played a game of golf and the dad beat Shane. And for that next year, Shane worked and worked and worked and shaved 20-ish strokes off his game, which is insane to do uh, in, in 12 months. And that's the type of player he's. I said, I said if he has a bad game, he's going to go back and he's going to work and he's going to work and he's going to work to be better that next game. That's the type of attitude that he's got. And he's been through, he's been through the rebuild in Kingston, so he's got experience going through that. Um, he's got experience in top power play minutes, big face off, big moments, that kind of stuff. And he's got that, what can I do to get better, um, attitude, which I think is all beneficial to a team going through a rebuild, which is why I think he's a top pick for Montreal. It's funny. Cause I've, I've heard that story too. And you know what it made me think of immediately was, uh, Sidney Crosby and two yes. examples, uh, after a season once, uh, I think Pittsburgh lost in the playoffs or, or didn't make the playoffs, whatever it was. And people were criticizing Sid for his shot. And uh, I heard that going into that, that next season, that all he did all summer was work out and practice his shot. And it was markedly improved. Like it was night and day how much better his shot was. And then a similar scenario <clears throat> with him, uh, where he spent an entire off season just working on face-offs and he became dominant on the face-off. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a nice Shane Wright to Sidney Crosby uh, character personality uh, comparison. That, that's a, that's a good person to be compared to. And, and it's something you can't teach. The player just has to want it and has to want to go and get better. And, and Sidney Crosby is, is perfect perfect idol for that and Shane Wright uh appears to be following in that same mold that's right uh okay so let's let's give some love to some of the other guys because there's, there's a lot of other players on Kingston we could talk about uh let's let's focus on the draft players still uh, and let's talk about Paul Ludwinski so this is her his first draft eligible year and it was hard for him I thought to find quality ice time given the depth that the Frontenacs had up front, especially, you know, with the age, the veterans that they have, they're all, they're all aging out of the OHL this year. So, you know, it's hard to beat those kind of guys out of a roster spot. So he was pretty much buried on the third line, barring a couple of instances where there was injuries, where he had glimpses in the top six. Um, I was really impressed with, with what I saw uh, and the role that he was asked to play as a third line center, you know, he wasn't asked to carry the offense. He was asked to provide supplementary offense and provide energy. And man, he's really good at that, at both those things. Um, and then in the playoffs, he really, really raised his game to another level. And I think gave us a really good glimpse of, of what to expect from him going forward. And I really think that caught the eye of some NHL scouts 
and move the needle a little bit on his draft rankings. I have him ranked in the second round. I got him 43rd. Uh, Elite Prospects is 45th. Chris Peters is 49th. Uh, The Hockey News has him down 76, but they had to have their stuff submitted a little bit earlier. So that might not include the, the playoff rankings. So um, I will, I'll say that I had him around late third round before the playoffs mm-hmm. and the playoffs came and he bumped himself up into the second round for me, just like you guys. I've got him probably middle of the pack in that, uh, that second round, just be on what he's done. I will preface anything that I say by saying that this year in the NHL draft more so than others, there's going to be a lot of misses and a lot of hits for these guys because you're getting drafted based on your OHL rookie season. There, There's not that adjustment period for some of these guys. Like Paul Ledwinski, he was drafted, missed out on his true rookie season, right. and then had to play his rookie season as his draft year. So really they have his um, minor midget season and then his OHL rookie season to base their NHL draft. And so you're going to see hits, but you're also going to see a lot of misses this year with guys like uh, Paul Ludwinski. That's not to say I think he's going to be a miss because I do. I loved what he brought, especially when all the chips were down in the playoffs. Yeah. For the most of the season, my only real knock on him was I'm just not sure what his, his finishing abilities are, right? Like he's got a pretty good shot, but does he get himself in positions to use it often enough? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a good quick, hard shot. How accurate is it? You know, those were some of the the concerns I had with, with his scoring abilities. And he really put those to bed in the playoffs. He scored prolifically in, in, in the playoffs and in a variety of different situations too, right? He, he scored some, some greasy goals in front of the net, but he also scored some, some goals at range too, with a, with a nice shot. And uh, not only was he scoring goals, but he was also setting them up too. So um, really moved the needle in the postseason there for anyone that that missed it. And there was a goal in the playoffs that he scored where he broke in off the wing and, and got some separation d- between him and the defenseman and then made it like uh, a power move right in front of the net to kind of beat the goalie. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know he had that in his arsenal because oftentimes he got lost in the shuffle throughout the regular season. Early on, he was playing with Shane Wright, but then got the wheels going a little bit in his rookie season and head coach Luca Caputi shuffled things up a little bit. And often he was the guy that got moved through the lineup to kind of balance things out. When Kingston uh, started getting injuries, he started on the top line, got moved back and then some injuries happened. And so then they slotted him back up through and he was kind of getting rotated similarly to what Shane Wright saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A player that it's in the NHL that he kind of reminded me of a, a little bit at times. It is uh <laughs> Zach Hyman and when he was with the Leafs the Leafs would do that too they would move him up and down throughout the roster and whenever they needed to shape things up he was the catalyst that they'd throw on a line to try and, and get some energy on it and get it going and I, I kind of feel that Frontenac said something similar with that uh, like Hyman he's got good offensive skills but not elite but good enough to play with elite players and and that's significant and he's got that he's got the willingness to to play the physical game if he needs to. You talked about gritty goals and like those garbage goals. He's not scared to go to the front of the net or go into the corner or anything like that. And then routinely, like I've I've talked to him and he says, Oh, I get a big smile on my face if I have to go in there and win that battle and come out with the puck. So um, yeah. that's something that's something that they talk about intangibles, and you can't teach that. You just the player has to want to do that. And it's no problem for him. Yeah, so he'll have uh, he'll have another two years of OHL 
eligibility to him. So he'll get he'll get drafted in the second or maybe the third round, not the first and, and not the fourth. Uh, he's he's not good enough for the first and too good for the fourth. But there's lots of lots of picks in the middle there and he'll slide in there somewhere um, <clears throat> and then have a couple more seasons of junior before he's fantasy relevant. So another player, though, that uh, is eligible for the draft coming out of Kingston that'll be going into the pros next year is um, Lucas Edmonds. And this is a player who I really enjoyed watching this season because right off the bat at the start of the season, he showed his his skill. Um, I was a little bit concerned about his skating, but uh, I, I don't think it's great, but I don't think it's a problem either. Um, so interesting story on him. I wrote an article on him for, for Dauber prospects that this is a kid that comes into the OHL as a 20 year old overage rookie that's draft eligible. And like, how is that even possible? But it was, um, and he led the front knacks in scoring and he almost led the OHL in scoring with, uh, I think it was 109 points, uh, is what he rounded up with something around that. Um, so as a 20 year old, I think he'll get, he'll get drafted. I have him ranked in the second round as well, late a 61st overall, uh, hockey news has him at 72 Chris Peters and elite prospects didn't rank him in their top three rounds. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Edmonds? Where do you see him going? So I, I had a little bit of a cheat sheet with him because I knew his dad from my days in North Bay when he, uh, his dad was coaching the junior A team there. And so I knew that uh, I knew that what they were kind of getting when, when they announced that he was going to come over and lived up to what I expected. Uh, I think, I think he caught some teams off guard because there was that unknown fact, right? He's coming from Europe. Didn't really have the greatest of years in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. And really excelled here in the OHL this season. And I think if he's, if he's a North American player, he probably gets, uh, he probably gets drafted in his normal year. Um, and if not, he gets that free agent contract, but because he's from Europe, he can be drafted as a 20 year old. And um, I, I like you, I think probably late third round, it wouldn't shock me if it's early fourth round, mm-hmm. but he, there are stories out of the combine that guys have hurt their stocks and whatever. So, it wouldn't shock me if maybe a player like Lucas gets elevated a little bit and maybe goes earlier in the third round. I could see a team like Seattle being very interested in him because they've got, I think half the picks in the second round uh, and they have a AHL affiliate that'll be the first year. So they were sharing an AHL affiliate. They've only had one draft, so they don't have very many players that they can graduate from the junior ranks. So I think they'll be looking for players exactly like him. Players that they can draft, that they can fast track up the ranks a little bit, and they don't have to wait two years for them to turn pro. Um, and, and and there's a Kingston connection in Seattle, a couple of them actually, and they were at multiple Frontenacs games this year. Yeah, I saw Ron Francis there in, in the playoffs for for a game, so they were getting a good look at him, and I'm uh, pretty friendly with one of their um, with one of their local based scouts as well, and and he hinted that they were. Um, that they were they were interested in them that they like them uh it's just a question of perhaps how much and what round and uh, if there aren't any other overage players that maybe fit in a little bit better or not but uh he's definitely on some teams radars and even if he didn't get drafted i don't think that would be the end of the world for him because then he would have the opportunity to sign uh, a contract with with the team of his choosing if he had any sort of preference there 
Yeah, and he'll definitely he's definitely going to wind up with an opportunity somewhere. There's no question about that. Um, probably going to get drafted. We say probably because we all know that anything can happen um, when you get to the NHL draft. Um, but I think he I think he's definitely going in the the top four rounds. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's been plenty of players who didn't get drafted that I was surprised. Uh, Linus Newman is a good example of that. I, I was kind of disappointed he wasn't drafted. And there, um, there, there's been guys that get drafted. I'm just like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, so another thing I like about Lucas Edmonds, and I, I kind of mentioned this, is that he's going, he's going pro right away. I don't think he'll jump into the NHL by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're in fantasy purposes listening to this episode and you're thinking about players who you can you can draft in your in your fantasy roster if it goes three or four rounds of NHL draft deep, the great thing about him is you don't have to wait three years to find out if he's a if he's gonna bust or not. You know, you don't have to burn a, a prospect roster bench on him for for four years and then throw him away and waste all that time. You know, you'll you'll know in a year or two if you've got a keeper or not. Well, and even in, he comes in having played against pros already from his time over in Sweden. So he's got that under his belt too. That's right. Uh, another player who is not going to be drafted, uh, that was an overager for the Frontenacs uh, and signed as a, as a free agent is Jordan Frasca. And he had a really, a really strong season scoring 87 points in 67 games, 42 goals, 45 assists. And I think he made a really good choice signing with Pittsburgh. They have one of the more shallow prospect pools uh, in hockey. Um, so his quality of competition to crack that roster won't be as bad as if he signed with, you know, um, Colorado or, or Minnesota or Ottawa. Uh, I, I, he had a great year in Kingston. Um, the only thing that worries me a little bit is that he kind of started to disappear in the playoffs for Kingston. When the when the well, he was suspended for two games. <laughs> yes, yes. In the Oshawa series, that's right. So there's that, but hard to, hard to stand out from the press box. But oh, but overall, I just felt like in the playoffs, he kind of he kind of got lost in in the thick of it a little bit. Yes, I could see that. And as an overage player, um, that's not what you want to see. Uh, one thing that I did see that he he didn't really drop the ball on in the playoffs was his dominance on the face-off die. And when they had a draw that they needed to win, he was the guy that was taking it every time. And, and that's, that's key for Kingston because they, they struggled mightily this year. So if you've got a guy like Jordan Frasco who's consistent on draws, even if he's just out there to take the draw and you're getting him off yeah. like that, that's so critical in the way that the game is played these days is face-offs because it's all about, possession having possession and if you don't have to go to fight to get that back then you're already ahead in that department that's right uh so what do you what do you think his uh nhl upside is i mean he's only one percent fan tracks owned so i mean he's pretty much widely available in leagues uh some leagues you won't be able to to sign him as a free agent you might have to draft him but is this a player that uh he'll be turning pro so even if you went out and and on a on a whim, you, you added him to your roster. You like I said with with Edmonds, you won't have to wait four years to find out. You'll know in a year or two. Do you see some NHL upside on this on this file? It's it's so hard to say just because of the situation and and stuff. But I, I think for, he could be a guy that that sees some games sporadically throughout the years. But I don't think I don't think he's being in a, 
being an NHL guy until probably year three. I think probably he's spent some time in the AHL and, and has to put in some tall, solid time there before he gets the call up to uh, the Penguins on a regular basis. Yeah, I think he could eventually find his way to the NHL. I think the the odds are a little bit against him. Uh, the percentages of, of him making it, I think, are are on the low side. And for fantasy purposes, I'd be a little bit more concerned because while he scored 40 goals and 40 assists uh, as an overager, in the OHL, he didn't really like super dominate offensively, and he's got good offensive abilities, but but not great. He'll make it more as a two way player, and you know, in fantasy, that's not great. Uh, and I don't think he'll provide you a lot of peripheral stats either. Like he's he's not a banger, so there's that. Despite despite a two game suspension, yeah, yeah, well. Everyone has uh, moments of, of poor decision-making. That was one of them. Uh, okay, another player I want to talk about is Martin Kromiak. He's uh, next on the scoring list on, on the, the fronts. 44 goals, uh, 86 points in 60 games. Uh, property of the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, he was a later-round draft pick from a couple seasons ago. He's played the last two seasons with Shane Wright, and he's looked really good doing it. Um, the kid has an NHL level shot. Like this guy can shoot the puck like an NHL player right now. Uh, My only concern with him, and it's kind of a big one is if he's not shooting the puck, is he contributing any other way? And that is a completely fair assessment. If you've watched his game, because there's times where he's setting up in his spot. He loves that left circle. The, the one-time shot off that left circle, yeah. but oftentimes there's plays in the corners and he kind of backs off from it a little bit and he doesn't get involved. Yeah. His, his compete level has uh, left me wanting sometimes. Let's say that. And, and you know what? You can get away with that at the OHL level, but not at the NHL level because you're playing against men who are competing for jobs and it's a completely different beast Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The OHL this year was, was a pretty passive league. I mean, there was talks during the COVID season that, that, that they, they canceled that maybe they would allow the OHL to play if, uh, if it was a non-contact season. And uh, I don't think all the players got the memo that that wasn't a rule this year. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't really see a whole ton of that physical play. Like, some nights you did if it was an old school rivalry, but more often than not, like the games were relatively tame. Yeah. Uh, the next player I want to talk about really kind of, kind of more of the same here. Uh, Francesco Arcuri, Dallas Stars prospect, uh, 34 goals, 74 points in 66 games. So another fine season, very, uh, very talented, uh, skilled player. He can really handle the puck very well. Um, my my impression of him from his rookie season was he avoided physical contact at all costs. Uh, as a rookie, he looked very intimidated on the ice and overwhelmed uh, from another number of perspectives, but specific, specifically physically. And while I saw improvements this year uh, in his, is this his final year? I think he's got one more, doesn't he? Yeah, he, he would have one more. Right. So this would be his D plus one season um, with one more to go. Uh, so, you know, he's asserted himself a little bit. He, he showed better ability to protect the puck and, and insulated against physical play. Uh, but it's still a concern that I have. Um, 
um, what's your what's your take on R. Curry? I was I was in the same boat as you. I kind of like, and he shouldn't be a guy that's that's kind of shying away because he's got the he's got the stature to go in and kind of absorb a little bit of physicality, right? Like he's not a small guy. He's he's got some size to him, and if he wants to use it, like he could have he could have that. He could be if you were to give him like the skill set that Paul Ludwinski has. Like I think I think that would solve a lot of the problems. Like if you could have like a hybrid between the two, mm-hmm. because he's yeah. got as he, as you mentioned, Curry's got that that the stick handling and those fine um, maneuvers, and Ludwinski's got that drive and that willingness to go into the tough spots. Right, maybe. I'm just not so sure about Ludwinski's um, uh, puck handling abilities. Well, that's what I mean. If you could have like, if you right. could take the puck handling from our Curry and combine it with Ludwinski, I think you'd have the perfect, that's they're the compliments to one another. You'd have a Zade wisdom. You would have a Zade wisdom, <laughs> which is the segue to the next player I want to talk about. Uh, arguably my favorite Kingston front next player. Um, I have just absolutely loved the way Zade Wisdom's game has has progressed. It has just been a rocket ship straight up. He came in as an OHL rookie, and well, he had a lot of Charlie Hustle in his game, and he tried really hard and he competed really hard, but he didn't really do anything. And Kingston was a terrible team, and they I was going to say nobody nobody that year did really anything, right? And they ended up last overall and got Shane Wright. And then the following season, he played with Shane and you know, a lot of people saw his statistical production really elevate and then just say, Oh, well, of course, what's the difference? He's playing with Shane Wright this year, as opposed to last. And I'm like, yes, that's true. He's playing with Shane Wright and he wasn't last year, but if you watch the games, you'll notice that he is not a passenger on that line. Um, It was wisdom, Wright, And Austin Wong until Martin Chromiak came over about midway. And then he bumped Wong off that line. And then the three of them just exploded and were absolutely dominant. And you know what? It was, it was wisdom driving the offense some nights. Like absolutely. He was, you've got, you've got Chromiak and Wright who are like these high level finesse guys, but then there's Zade wisdom. He's going in the corner and digging those pucks out front of the net, taking the, the hacks and the wax to kind of make stuff happen. Yeah, and the, the the biggest problem I had with with wisdom in his rookie year was his his puck handling abilities were were below average, quite frankly, at the OHL level. Like he had hard times um, accepting passes that weren't on the tape uh, and carrying the puck or skating and stick handling and avoiding traffic. And by the end of his second year, all of those concerns were put to rest. Those were all strengths in his game. So he had just really developed incredibly in his second season. Then his third season, there was no OHL. So he went to the American Hockey League and looked like a pro-ready player there. He's one of Lehigh Valley's best players that season. Um, I was shocked that he came back to Kingston this year. Now, he missed uh, the first several months with a significant shoulder injury. Uh, And when he came back you know, he was, he was still obviously uh, dealing with some, some fallout from that shoulder injury and, and lack of lack of preseason or conditioning as a result of that as well, I suppose. Um, but by the end of the year in the playoffs, particularly, uh, you know, he had 15 points in 11 playoff games. Zade, uh, Zade is very much a player that 
that relies on confidence to get things going. And in that first rookie year, I it felt to me like they didn't really know how they wanted to use him, And as such, he was kind of lost out there a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then second year when Shane, they get Shane Wright and he kind of has a set role on the team. That's when he started to, to put it all together. Yeah. Confidence goes straight to your feet, doesn't it? Big time. And especially, especially with him just talking to him over the years and, and when he started to get the confidence of the coaching staff and they were giving him those big moments and those big minutes, that's when he kind of started to blossom as a player and allowed him to get drafted by Philly and signed by Philly. Right. So he's now aged out of junior hockey. So he'll be playing pro uh, next year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Philadelphia decides to not put the pedal to the metal and, and rush him. I mean, he's, I think he was a fourth round or second was he second or fourth round pick i would i think fourth because i I remember like i remember them signing him i was like whoa (laughs) and he was he was the first player signed out of his draft year they didn't they didn't sign they didn't sign their first pick they signed him (laughs) i was like whoa right that was my first indication that uh man this is that's this is gonna be good he's uh he's all in on philadelphia They're, they're all in on him um but yes, I can see them trying to exercise a little bit of patience and then, you know, maybe having him play a little bit in between the leagues, uh, depending on how, you know, if he plays his way onto the roster and, and makes it impossible for them to keep him off, like like Jason Robertson did last year, then, you know, okay, so be it. Um, but I could see them being quite prepared to be patient with him as well. And I think I think this year, if he's not injured, he's probably starting up in either... Lehigh or Philadelphia. Yeah. But because the injury, they said, okay, we'll let you go back to Kingston. You can, you can get your conditioning and stuff there. And then if they happen to want a playoff run and Kingston gets beat out, we'll call you up. Yeah. And what surprised me that he came back to the, uh, to the OHL this year was he played more than 25 games in the American hockey league last year. So he had earned their special COVID exemption that he would have, he would have been allowed to play in the American Hockey League. So at the start of the year, I had some fans asking me, is there any chance when he's healthy, Zig Wisdom comes back? And I was like, no, <laughs> no, he's already an American Hockey League player. He's their best player. Like, why would they send, why would you take a backward step and send him back to junior? Um, but I guess the injury has everything to do with that. And they decided. Yeah, the injury, the injury probably would have put him behind the eight ball this year. Mm-hmm. And by the time he gets up to speed and stuff, the season would have been winding down. So they sent him back to junior where he can kind of go and, and get a bit of a run in and some experience in that regard and then come back next year and fully recharged and ready to go. Right. Plus Lehigh was uh, a bit of a disaster this year. Yeah, that's that's being kind to them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, Philadelphia is kind of a disaster, too. Yeah, they are. They need they need good players. Um, okay, so the one more player I want to talk about here, uh, the goalie. Uh, so Levy Marilainen comes in, import player from Finland, property of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, I think he was just drafted in in twenty one. Uh, so he comes in with a uh, with a pretty decent pedigree, you know, an NHL drafted uh, goalie. He's got signed uh, goalie, signed goalie, no less, exactly. Uh, and really kind of, I think going into the season, people were, you know, the Kingston Frontenacs were one of the CHL's top 10 ranked teams and they didn't finish there, 
So a lot of people scrutinize the front necks uh, for not being able to keep the puck out of their net. And I had a couple of fans and a couple of people asking me questions about Levy Marilina and saying, oh, it's too bad they didn't get a real goalie. And I'm like, actually, they did. Uh, I don't have a problem with the quality of goals that he's letting in. Uh, I was really impressed with his play and he was unbeatable on shootouts and breakaways. Um, hard, hard to blame the goalie when, you know, you've got a player standing uncontested at the side of the net and, you know, the pass comes across the front of the net and it's a tap in goal. Like, come on, man. How's the goalie supposed to stop that? There were, um, there were a few of those this year. There, there were more than one. I can, I can remember more than one. Or when your defenseman passes it from the corner right into the slot and kind of onto the stick of uh, the wrong team. You know, is that the goalie's fault for letting that play in? I, don't, I think not. Those, those happened in playoffs too. They did, didn't they? A couple of times. Um, so what's yeah, your take like, on Marilina? So everybody, you talk, you touched on it. He's an Ottawa draft pick, signed, has all these accolades coming in. And even his showing at the World Juniors, like the, as short as it was, he looked pretty good uh, on that. But my takeaway from him is that he was either really good or he's really bad. He did and let in some stinkers. There was, there was a consistency issue with that. Um, and to me, that was kind of the biggest thing with him. And, and he's... It, it might fall on the team a little bit because they absolutely rode him this year. Mm-hmm. Like he saw, he's, he's seen the most starts in a few years that I can remember. Yeah. Uh, they, they, they played 68 games. He probably started 62 of them or something like that. Yeah. And it was just insane. And even the, some of the games that he didn't start, he wound up coming in in relief. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, here's your night off. Not really. We got gotcha. you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, it's so hard because you talk, you said it perfectly. Like you don't want to hang it on the goalie when there's flaws elsewhere, but on the same hand, like there were some nights where I'm thinking, okay, this team's in this game. If they just get a save and then they didn't get that save, but then there's other nights where like they had no business being in a game and it's because of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, like and against teams that they should have smoked and they just take the night off, but he holds them in and they wound up getting the win in that game. All right, so what's your predictions for Marilyn uh for the the upcoming season? Where do you see him going? Um I think he's got some options, right? Cuz he was drafted out of Europe, which means yeah. uh he can he can play pro. I Ottawa's such a mess in the goal right now. So it wouldn't shock me to see him start in Belleville. Mhm. Um there's just so many question marks for the Senators right now and they really need something solid in the pipes for them moving forward. Um, and like they thought Murray was the solution. He's not. Um, and so I think in that, in that regard, it's wide open. If he wants to, if Marilyn wants to come in and, and steal that it's up for him to do. It's not like they've got their guy and that's, that's that like they're playing for a backup role. I think it's wide open in Ottawa centers land right now in terms of goaltending. Yeah, I mean, they're, I think they're trying to get out from Matt Murray's contract. Um, if they don't add another goalie and if they subtract Matt Murray, uh, their depth chart is, is it's not overwhelming. Anton Forsberg, Philip Gustafson, Mads Sogard, um, maybe Kevin Mandelais. Like, that's it. And then Levy Marilainen. So, you know, for goalies who turn pro, 
it's not uncommon for them to go from junior hockey into the coast and, and get starts as a starting goalie in the East coast hockey league and get reps and practice as opposed to being a backup in the American hockey league and, and wasting an important season of development. Uh, well, so I, I wouldn't dismiss the the possibility of, of him getting starts in the East coast hockey league. Then that's exactly it with goaltending. Like you need to play to get better. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Like you need, you need starts, you need quality starts to get better and it's not going to do you any good to be sitting on the bench. So if that's in Belleville or in their American league team or East or ECHL team, I found out also recently that they do not like to be referred to as the East coast league. <laughs> um, they they're just the ECHL now. Um, I got a letter from them regarding that. Really? Yeah, legit, like a well, big explanation. What, is, what do they think ECHL stands for? ECHL stands for ECHL. That was their explanation to me. Yeah. Okay. Even this though, is, this even is like though, a KFC branding thing. Like, no, even though, Stanford, even Kentucky though, fried chicken. It's KFC, damn it. <laughs> even though everybody refers to it as East Coast League, they do not like that. So um, I don't even know who Ottawa's East Coast affiliate is right now. No, not do I. Nobody knows. Um, yeah, it's up for grabs. Um, but, uh, like, I think Belleville probably is the landing spot for him just because over the last two, three, four years, there seems to be a rotating goaltending carousel out of there between Ottawa and Belleville. And it seems every year they go through five or six goaltenders. Right. And so I think probably you'll see the most reps in Belleville. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's not far from us. So if we want to go watch Maryland, we can uh, we can just take a little hour drive west on the 401 and 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 catch a, a Belleville game. Uh, all right, does so that pretty much covers all of the relevant players uh, from the Kingston Front next that have Hache. Uh, any we kind of? T- we did not touch on Hache. No, we didn't. Uh, okay, so he's <laughs> he's a wild card for me. Is he aging out too? He's he's graduating. No, he, he's I think gone. he's got. I think he's got one year left. He signed a, Maybe. I think he signed. Um, I, I saw on Twitter, I think it was his mom posted that he's off to wherever they're. Uh, they're oh, yes. You know what? Is. Yeah, I did see that. In Char- Charlotte? Yeah, yeah, AHL. Yeah, yeah the Jets. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think that means that he's he's off to starting his his pro career. Um, yeah, here's the way I look at it. If Roland McEwen can't crack the NHL, I'm not I'm not sure I see Braden Hache surpassing I, that i would 100 percent agree if if steven deroche and roland McEwen can't do it um then that that to me says it all mm-hmm. i mean i like Braden hash i think he's he was one of their their best defensemen on a lot of nights uh especially when he was really mean and engaged <laughs> physically and he uh, is one of the nicest kids you will meet coming through junior hockey no doubt all right. And then Ben Roger is another Ottawa Senators prospect that they have, a, a player that the Frontenacs acquired. Um, and he's he's big. And he was a second round pick, which was a little bit surprising. He went yeah. a lot sooner than a lot of people had forecast him. But I think that's part of the, the pandemic London effect. Bump. Yeah. And the London bump. Yeah, right. Uh, but they traded him to, to the fronts. Uh, I like what I saw from him. And I think he was just what they needed, uh, a big defensive defenseman. But I don't think he moves the needle on the fantasy radar at all. No, me neither. I think he's probably going to be an ECHL guy. Yeah. 
All right, Alan, I think I'm going to put a wrap on this episode. Um, my, my free Zoom account is timing out, so. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm too cheap to pony up. So uh, thanks very much for joining me, man. I really enjoyed talking France with you. I know we do it at, uh, at Frontenac's game sometimes, but uh, I thought it was, the, our conversations are so interesting, we should share it with the world. So anyone who hey. wants to listen can. I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And before we know it, we'll be back in rings. So that's one of the benefits of these weird starts to the seasons is a short off season. Yeah. It's going to be a hard season again next year though. It's like back in the days where they, they played that, that bummer Jerry Seinfeld bass guitar every time the front next got scored on, which is about 10 times a game. <laughs> well, we, you know what, if we go on with those expectations and it's better, I think we'll be pleasantly surprised. There you go. There you go. Uh, they got a couple players that will be returning that, I, that I'll be excited for. I like Maddox Callens and, and Matt Soto, and uh, and they got some some young players coming up. They got a first round pick this year, uh, Frasca's younger brother. So uh, and Bataglia too. That's so, right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So it won't be all bad, and uh, and who knows who knows what uh, what it'll be. So if uh, if if Shane Wright doesn't make the NHL and gets traded for bounty of prospects it'll make for another uh another run in a year or two can't wait yeah we, we don't have enough of those here in kingston all right so thanks for joining me alan everyone follow alan on twitter al alan at uh is the twitter handle uh just pretty straightforward no numbers or underscores or special characters or anything and uh thanks for listening to the episode hope you enjoyed it if you do go ahead and uh you know give it a five-star review or something like that uh if you see me posting it on twitter hit that uh retweet or like button help share the love so people can find it all right uh that's it for this episode uh got the nhl draft coming up uh in a couple of weeks now that's that is not far away so i'll be there and i'll try to do my usual bob mckenzie interview from the draft and and talk to a couple other people who uh might have some some interesting insights for the show just like alan did today so that's it for today everyone thanks for listening we'll see you on the next one